One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by Inglis. Inglis has had over a century of turf champions go through their sales rings. And now with their pink bonus series, there has never been a better time for women to join in on the fun of racehorse ownership. That's right, Grace. With the bonus prize money up for grabs, the pink bonus series is a great initiative to get more women involved in racing, making Inglis a fabulous partner to ladies who punt. We can't thank them enough for supporting our podcast and the representation of women in the racing media. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ladies Who Punt in 2023. We are the podcast that decodes the sport of horse racing one topic at a time. I'm still Fiona Blair, and still with me in 2023 is my fabulous co-host, Grace Ramage. Grace, how are you feeling about Ladies Who Punt going into our second year? Hello, Fee, and hello, everybody that's listening in to yet another year of Ladies Who Punt. It is absolutely unbelievable. Fee, I'm so excited about um, being back for 2023 because when you think about our little podcast and how far we've grown, I'm so proud of it and I know you are too and I hope everybody that has come on the journey of Ladies Who Punt right back from you know the first couple of episodes when we unveiled them or whether you've gone back in and um, re-listened to those episodes since any time over the past 12 months, you know, we've we've decoded a lot of topics, which is, of course, what we set out to achieve. And I think not only that, Fee, we are doing great things just in terms of creating that community within the racing industry with all of our LWP fans. So super excited for yet another year. 2023 is going to be a big one. I can feel it. Definitely. We've got a lot planned already. We are hoping to have three uh, meet-up events this year, with the first one being at the Melbourne Premier Sale in just a few weeks. And also in more exciting news, we've managed to purchase a share of a lovely filly, which we will be racing with our Ladies Who Punt community. A few of you have signed up to race this horse with us. We have about 25% of the horse so far. If you are still keen to be involved, you can do that. Uh, We will have a link in our show notes to the horse and you can contact us via any of our social media platforms if you're interested in racing this lovely filly by Deep Field with us. The other thing we need to touch on, Grace, as everyone would have heard at the top of the show, is we have a sponsor this year. That's right, Fee. We are so excited to announce that Inglis are our sponsors for Ladies Who Punt starting, of course, this episode in 2023. And we are just absolutely over the moon about this because Inglis is such an amazing company. It's an amazing brand. Um, If you aren't familiar with what Inglis is, Well, it's the longest running auction house of thoroughbred racehorses in Australia. Still, it's a family run business. Um, They do an amazing job at both servicing the breeders, their clients, and also those that come to buy thoroughbreds at 
sales each and every year and the sales that Inglis do run, you would have probably heard us talk about it and you certainly will be hearing us talk about it in the next few months is the classic sale up in Sydney, the premier sale in Melbourne in just a couple of weeks time. And then we've also got the Easter sale Uh, which is up in Sydney, where you've got a lot of expensive horses going through each and every year. And they are just sort of the headline yearling sales that we'll certainly be focusing in on, because not only is it really great to be aligned and sponsored by such a great brand and a company, but it is going to be our focus in 2023, especially in the next couple of months to start to decode some of the topics that live within the bloodstock and the breeding and the yearling sales areas because we've done so much decoding of the topics fee when it comes to racing and form analysis, but that's only one part of this industry. Ultimately, horses only get to the track and we can only try and work out who the winner is because they've been raised, they've been put through a yearling preparation and they've been sold to new owners who then put them into training. So we're going to take it back a step. We're going to go to the beginning, aren't we? Yeah, in 2022, we definitely focused on racing and form analysis topics and decoding those topics. But as we're smack bang in the middle of the yearling season, it makes sense to take this opportunity to explore that area in more depth. And I feel like this is an area that people know very little about, and it's such an important part. And for any of our community that are buying into our deep field filly, this will be extra interesting or anyone that's bought into a share of a yearling before because it'll take you through the process of like what happens to these horses before they get to the sales, what's happening at the sales, what are the buyers looking for in horses and things like that. And talking about Inglis, our deep field filly was bought at the classic sale and she is going to be eligible for the pink bonus series. So this is an initiative from Inglis where they are adding bonus prize money to certain races for horses that are bought through their sales series and are owned at least 75% by women. So our deep field filly will qualify for these races. So hopefully she's up to the mark in terms of ability and we can chase that extra prize money. But before we go into the bloodstock side of things and decoding those topics, this week we are just coming back with a bit of a form episode. We've got a lot of good racing on this weekend. It's Blue Diamond Day on Saturday with five group ones across the country, I think, so plenty to analyze. And we also thought we might give a quick overview of the Autumn Carnival. I know a lot of people found our Spring Carnival overview episode really useful. So we thought we might do the same thing with the Autumn. And after we've done that, we will be previewing the Blue Diamond, the Oakley Plate, the Futurity Stakes and the Chipping Norton in Sydney. So there's heaps to look forward to with that, with the two-year-olds, as well as some of our older elite horses such as Animo and Sydney, Alligator Blood resuming in the Futurity and also a very interesting lineup in the Oakley Plate as well. So lots to cover this week, but let's start off with our autumn overview. Well, it's hard to believe we are already coming towards the end of February and three weeks deep into Group 1 racing. Can you run us through, Grace, the overall program for this time of year? So we did this fee last year, of course, when we're looking at the Spring Racing Carnival, which in itself is this monster of a carnival. It starts basically at the end of August here in Melbourne and it runs all the way through to the first week of November 
each and every week is sort of a new stepping stone. Horses in different age categories or on different sort of feature pathways can take different races to then get to their target. And there's a a number of different ways they can do that. But generally, there is sort of a, a typical pathway that horses can take. So what we're going to do now is just run everybody through what we're sort of looking at when it comes to the autumn carnival. Because we are still in the middle of summer, and yet for some reason we're already talking about it being the autumn carnival. Well, actually, we're not technically in the middle of summer, are we? We've only got a week left, which is so sad. But anyway, (laughs) what we are in at the moment in Melbourne is called the Festival of Racing. It was rebranded probably two years ago, and it's Racing Victoria's label for what is happening right now at the end of summer in terms of Group 1 racing here in Melbourne. And each and every year, it really does start sort of at the end of January, early February, and it goes right through February to about the middle of March. The feature racing that we have to look forward to each and every year for this festival of racing is the Blue Diamond Stakes, which we have this Saturday. It's for the two-year-olds. It's at Group 1 level. It is, aside from the Golden Slipper, which is in a couple of weeks' time, the second best two-year-old juvenile race in terms of prize money and just stature. It's a big target, no doubt, for all of the two-year-olds out there, and it's a real jewel in the Melbourne yearly racing calendar. So that's what we have this Saturday. On Blue Diamond Day this Saturday, we've also got the Oakley Plate and the Futurity Stakes. The Oakley Plate in itself is a target race for the sprinters, and we'll preview that race shortly. The Futurity Stakes is one of the stepping stones at Group 1 level on that wait-for-age path for our big guns, our I'm Thunderstrucks, our Mr. Brightsides, Alligator Bloods, those horses all going towards an all-star mile here in Melbourne in a couple of weeks' time. The all-star mile itself is a relatively new race. It's a very rich race, and it's an interesting one if you haven't heard of it yet because you actually get the chance to vote in your horse. So sort of like Australian Idol, you get to decide (laughs) who's in the final field. So after this Saturday here in Melbourne, we then look ahead to, in the next few weeks, some other feature Group 1 racing being the Newmarket Handicap, which is where we'll see a lot of the Oakley Plate horses go to. That's in two weeks' time. We also have the Australian Guineas, which is for the three-year-olds over 1,600 metres. It's a Group 1, sort of the Melbourne Autumn Carnival's version of the Caulfield Guineas, which is back in the spring in October. So that's coming up in a couple of weeks here at Flemington as well. We've got the All-Star Mile in three weeks' time. And then another really big race each and every year that uh, people aspire to be winning is the Australian Cup. And this is the wait-for-age race at 2,000 metres at Group 1 level. And that is going to be in about a month's time here in Melbourne. They've actually moved that back a week. And then the final Group 1 here in Melbourne for the season is the William Reed. It's a Group 1 at Wait for Age for the sprinters at the Valley over 1,200 metres. That's always run at the end of March. So by the end of March, the Autumn Racing Carnival, the Festival of Racing here in Melbourne, really wraps up. But that's the way it always has been because while the centrepiece of the spring is most definitely Melbourne Racing, The autumn is all about Sydney racing, and that's the way it's always been. Despite the fact they have got notoriously bad record of having wet track after wet track up in Sydney, which certainly doesn't suit all horses, it's definitely where you want your good horses to be peaking for the feature Sydney races. So it's already happening. Like this Saturday, we're going to be taking a look at the Chipping Norton, and we see Animo again, who's already a seven-time Group 1 winner, the Cox Plate champ of last year. He's already second up 
in the Chipping Norton Stakes and he won first up. So he's already well on his way. His target race will probably be the Queen Elizabeth, which is on the second day of the championships. The championships is a term of two feature Saturdays. They go back to back. So this year, the first day of the championships is on the 1st of April. And the second day of the championships is the next Saturday, which is the 8th of April. Across those two Saturdays of the championships, there are seven group ones, which is amazing. So if you want to get away and go up to Sydney or have a weekend doing something, much like we would recommend you coming to Melbourne during Flemington's Melbourne Cup Week, you want to be in Sydney for the championships week because the racing is elite And it's just a really fun time to be up there and at the races. So that's sort of the crescendo of the Sydney Autumn Racing Carnival, which is where all of the stars, all the big guns will be firing. That's the target racing week. But as we already said, there's already Group 1 racing in the lead up to that week. And also separate, of course, is the Golden Slipper, which I mentioned not too long ago because the Blue Diamond comes up this Saturday. Well, the Golden Slipper comes up on the 18th of March. So in a couple of weeks time, it's at Rose Hill. It is the number one two-year-old race, no doubt about it, in Australia. It's worth $5 million. So can't wait for that one to be coming around. Also on each of these feature race days in Sydney, there are, be it at Rose Hill or Randwick, group ones across the board. They come for the sprinters. For example, you've got the Galaxy and then the TJ Smith Stakes at Wait for Age on the championships week is the grand final for the sprinters. But then you've always got that wait for age path for the horses like Animo and, you know, I'm Thunderstruck when he goes up to Sydney. You've got races like the George Ryder or the Ranvit Stakes at 2,000 metres and then you're getting to the Queen Elizabeth during the championships, which is the grand final target. So, again, you've got the sprinters pathways. You've got the wait for age, um, like middle distance horse pathways. It caters for everything. And also you've got for the three-year-olds, the Randwick Guineas and also the Rose Hill Guineas, which unlike the Caulfield Guineas or the Australian Guineas, the Rose Hill Guineas is interesting because it is over 2,000 metres as opposed to 1,600 metres. The reason for that is that it's the perfect lead-up race for the Australian Derby and the Australian Oaks, both run at Randwick, both during the championships and both over 2,400 metres. So that's in a nutshell what we've got to look forward to for the Melbourne Festival of Racing and then the Autumn Sydney Racing Carnival. Once that all wraps up sort of midway through April, then we actually turn our focus to the Adelaide Racing Carnival. And we've got Group 1 Racing like uh, the Goodwood and the Sangster for the Sprinters. We have got the Oaks and the Derby for the three-year-olds. And that's always sort of at the back end of April into May. And then once the Adelaide Carnival wraps up, and that only lasts for the Group 1 racing about a month, then our attention turns to Brisbane. And we've got the Brisbane Racing Carnival. We've got feature races like the Stradbroke Handicap and the the Queensland Oaks and the Queensland Derby and plenty of good racing like the Brisbane, like the, the new race, the Q22, which we saw plenty of good horses go up to as well. So really what I've just explained to you is that there is great racing that sort of hops across all the different major cities that we've discussed right through until June. So we need to be always forward thinking about what's happening now, but then what might be happening in the future. And that's going to be key when we do a lot of our form previews. 
because there will be some horses that we think, oh, this is a really nice horse and they can win this weekend. But then, you know, you might actually realize that what they're doing is just having like a, a bit of a, a hit out to then go to another carnival somewhere else. So it's a really interesting one and it lasts right through until June. We'll be busy for a long time, Fee. Definitely plenty for us to cover over the coming months. So in the spring, we always see the best horses running, but the way that the programming works, we also see them come back during this time, sort of during the autumn time. Do you think there will be many new faces popping up during the autumn or will we just be uh, betting on our old reliables? That's a really good question, Fee, because um, it actually makes me think about you know, when we do normally see new blood and new horses that have got plenty of ability come through, rise through the grades quickly enough to start see them tackling, um, you know, some stakes racing and some feature races. And I'd probably say to answer your question, no, not as much as what we would see, let's say, like in the middle part of the year leading into the spring, you will see some new season three-year-olds, like late two-year-old new season three-year-olds come like July, August, come through, win their races and then end up in some really nice three-year-old races. You know, you'll see some some solid sprinters, like, for example, a horse we're going to talk about shortly in the Oakley Plate called Asfura. She rose through her grades and now she's in a group one. So to answer your question, I don't necessarily think that we're going to see any new blood for the autumn racing carnival, be it here or in Sydney. And it's purely because the time between the carnivals, I suppose, is there's not much time at all between the spring and the autumn when you think about it. Um, You know, clearly there's a much bigger gap between like the Sydney autumn and the Melbourne spring for trainers to be sort of unveiling their their new horses and, and rising them through the grades through midweeks or, you know, Saturday benchmark racing. So I don't think we're going to be seeing any new blood necessarily. There might be a couple, but on the whole, we'll be focusing in on the horses that we should know very well by now, having assessed them and looked at them and watched them race for majority of the spring racing carnival. Yeah, definitely. I'm certainly seeing a lot more names that I recognize now having done the podcast last year. And who are you excited to see back in the autumn? Well, we've already had some feature racing that um, was last weekend, for example, in the Lightning Stakes at Flemington at Group 1 level. I was super excited to see Nature Strip mm-hmm. um, because of what he achieved last year. He went over to Royal Ascot and he won and you know, we're so proud of that horse. He was a little bit disappointing, I suppose. I expected him to win the lightning stakes. He didn't, but I'm excited to see what he does now. No run until the TJ, which we've just discussed is in that first week of April during the championships, the TJ Smith stakes. That'll be his next run. He won't run until then. And knowing Chris Waller and knowing how much he knows this horse, he'll have him ready to go. So, look, he's still the superstar when it comes to the sprinting ranks at the moment. So I'm excited to see him again. But then there's some of those up-and-comers that we've already seen but have the potential to even go to the next level again, this preparation. Both of them are three-year-olds. I would say Giga Kick, who won the Everest, and also In Secret, who won the Coolmore Stud Stakes so effortlessly. Both of those three-year-olds, I'm super excited to see what they can do this autumn because if they are going to be, you know, um, champion three-year-olds and then measure up to the weight for age ranks as older horses, they should be doing some pretty great things this autumn. 
Yeah, they're three really good ones. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing a couple of old rivals from last year, Alligator Blood and I'm Thunderstruck. I just loved watching them battle it out during the spring. So they're facing up against each other this weekend. Another horse who is racing in one of our races we're previewing today is Lofty Strike. And I was really happy to see him winning uh, two weeks ago. He was a bit of a boom horse as a two-year-old and Um, got scratched from the Blue Diamond in his two-year-old year year where he was the favourite. So it was great to see him win again two weeks ago after a little bit of a a quiet spring. He he didn't quite get the job done during the spring. And yeah, he came back with a vengeance two weeks ago. And I'm excited to see what he can do this weekend. I just like him because he's a bit of like, even though he's very talented, he sort of gives like underdog vibes. Like he's got this funny action and this big white face and like... He's so fast, but yeah, he just still comes off as an underdog, which is really weird because he's so talented. Yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, he's trained by a Cranbourne trainer, Julia Sandu, who I think this would, if he was to win the race, the Oakley Plate, it would be Julius's first group one. So they're the stories that we definitely root for. Um, and he's going to have a lot of fans on Saturday, no doubt about that. The last question I have for you before we get into our full preview is who are you voting for in the All-Star Mile? That is a really <laughs> difficult question, Fee. Um, because my heart is with a lot of All-Star Mile horses, but I think I'm going to have to vote for a horse by the name of Gentleman Roy. He is – and the reason for it is you can be quite tactical with your votes because – you know, the good horses will already be voted in. Mr. Brightside, he's probably already got his place in the race. I think he's number fourth. He's number four already in the order of in the order of votes. So I'm I'm voting for Gentleman Roy because he should be a group one winner if unfortunately <laughs> the protest didn't go against him last or two weeks ago now in the CFO stakes. So he was so good at Sandown two weeks ago. I think he deserves his place in the All-Star Mile. So he's definitely getting my vote. Yeah, he's my vote too. Um, obviously, we're connected to Lindsay Park, so we're, I think we'd get sacked if we voted for horse yes. outside of the stable. But um, I'm voting for him for also other reasons. Um, of course, he deserves to be there after his amazing performance in the CF4. But I also have his half brother, who some people might know. Jack and Obey at my house. He has retired with me. I obviously didn't own him when he was racing, but uh, he's been in retirement with me and and me and Jack would love to see him in the All-Star Mile putting in a good run. Yeah, that would be so good. And maybe once Gentleman Roy is finished with his racing, he can go and enjoy that paddock with his older brother, Fee. <laughs> I'd have to ask the husband. Uh, <laughs> he's not very keen on me having uh, another horse, but, you know, you never know. <laughs> Okay, well, now that we've had our little autumn overview, let's get stuck into our form. Okay, Grace, so usually Blue Diamond Day is run at Caulfield, but we have moved to Sandown Lakeside because Caulfield is uh, under construction. I think they're rebuilding the track. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right, Fee. So all of the feature racing um, that would normally be at Caulfield for this festival of racing, so here in Melbourne, it's all been transferred to Sandown. We are not racing at Caulfield for about six months. So, you know, normally we have the CF4 stakes and the Futurity stakes and this big Blue Diamond stakes meeting at Caulfield. But this year, for the only year, 
it's being run at Sandown. Sandown, we normally race there for Wednesday Metropolitan meetings, and it's an amazing track, super spacious, so much room to move. They've got two tracks there, the hillside track, which is exceptionally roomy, and then the lakeside track, which actually sort of lives inside the hillside track, but the straight is shared. So they've both got the same straight, but one sort of lives in terms of the bend and the circle inside the other. We are racing on the lakeside track this Saturday. So that's the difference. If you ever hear those two names, that's the difference. The hillside is the bigger circle. The lakeside is the one that lives on the inside, the little circle. Thanks for uh, explaining that, Grace, because that was actually what I was going to ask you. So can I assume that the lakeside is a tighter turning track? Yeah, that's right, Fee. The bends are definitely tighter and there's not as much straight. And especially once you get into the actual straight, because it lives inside the bigger track, you're actually probably taking off about a furlong, 200 meters of proper straight to the to the winning post. So definitely the lakeside track is a tighter turning track. It is also notoriously a more leader biased track than the hillside track because the hillside track's got this enormous long straight um, and sort of you can win from anywhere, whereas the lakeside track's probably getting more towards the category of uh, Caulfield or Mooney Valley as an extreme, but it's sort of getting more toward, towards there where the straight is shorter. Therefore, there's not as much time for horses to balance up and get past the leaders. That's really important information um, to start off with, I think, you know, having to bet on a different track this year. It might change uh, a bit of the tactics of, of who we pick. It might mean that we favour some inside barriers a bit more and front runners a little bit more than the, the back markers. What race do you want to start with today, Grace? Which one should we preview first? Well, I cannot wait for all of them. I'm so excited. It's going to be such a great day. Um, Weather is going to be amazing. Like, yeah, just can't wait. But we have to start with the Blue Diamond because, number one, it's the first of the three in the race book. It comes up as race number seven. And number two, it is the feature race on the day. It's for the two-year-olds. It's worth $2 million. Um, and we've got a capacity field and boy, oh boy, fee, this is one wide open blue diamond stakes. So let me just quickly set the scene. So we've got the two major form references each and every year, the blue diamond preludes. One of the races is for Colts and Geldings and the other race is for the Phillies. They're both run on the same day and they'll both run two weeks ago at Sandown, but on the hillside track. So remember, these two races were run on the more spacious track. Now the race this Saturday is on the less spacious track. But they are the two main form references for Melbourne horses. A lot of the runners in the Blue Diamond on Saturday do come through either of those two races, be it for the Colts and Geldings or the Phillies, and now they all meet together. But then what we've got this year is some horses coming down from Sydney Um, that we haven't seen in Melbourne yet, which is not normally something that happens. Peter and Paul Snowden are Sydney-based trainers, and they have got an outstanding record with two-year-olds and an outstanding record in this race, the Blue Diamond Stakes. But normally, they've got a two-year-old that they've earmarked to win the Blue Diamond from the get-go, and we've seen them in Melbourne the whole way through. But this time, they've got a horse called Don Corleone, who's coming down for his first ever start in Melbourne in the Blue Diamond. And we've also got the favourite for the race in Steel City for Kiramar and David Eustace, 
Of course, we know the My Eustace stable have got lots of different bases all over Australia, but this filly has predominantly been trained and racing in Sydney, and now she's here for the Blue Diamond. So it's fascinating to have these you know, different form references coming down from Sydney for this race, rather than just staying up in Sydney waiting for the Golden Slipper. So it just makes it even more difficult to try and work out who the winner is. Yeah, definitely. Uh I do have some fun facts for the Blue Diamond Stakes, a little uh, piece I'm going to do, I think, for most of our feature races this year. So I can say that all but three of the Blue Diamond Stakes winners from 2010 to 2022 have won their lead-up race. So you definitely want to be behind winners. Another fact is that the most successful barriers are barrier four and five with six wins each. So... I don't know if that will be the same this year because we're not on the same track, but as you said, it's a leaderish track, so it still might be the case. But they're my two little facts for the listeners for the Blue Diamond Stakes. And I think especially the one about winners having won their recent lead-up race is because when you're a two-year-old, you know, normally the winners keep winning, don't they? Like, you know, you're either a very good two-year-old or you're just sort of in the races and racing well. But the, the, you know what, stats don't lie. So I'm definitely going to listen to what you're saying, but I can also see myself actually not going for any recent winners. And also, I mean, the favorite hasn't even won a race yet, Fee. Steel City's only had two starts and she's had two seconds. Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked when I saw the market today. I was like, what is going on here? Like, I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing and not that I'm like a, you know, I'm an absolute novice at analyzing the market, but I thought Barber would be favorite for sure. Not the case. I mean, he's not far behind Steel City, but there were a few horses that I thought would be before Steel City. That's for sure. So then this is the thing. Let's talk about both of those two horses because Steel City is our favorite. She's at $4.50 at the moment. She's had two starts and she has run second both times. So she's still eligible to be running in a maiden somewhere. Obviously, she's better than that. And there's $2 million up for grabs. So that's why they're here. But the reason that she is so respected by the market is that she's come through two very strong races, strong in terms of the form of those races and the horses that were around her, and also strong in terms of the time that they ran on the clock. Um, Her most recent start was in the Widden Stakes up in Sydney, and she ran second to a horse called Learning to Fly. Learning to Fly subsequently went in to win a big feature race called the Inglis Millennium. Um, and learning to fly was absolutely dominant in that race. So for Steel City to have been so close to learning to fly suggests that Steel City has got oodles of ability and that she is definitely knocking on the door for this race. Then we take a look at Barber, and as opposed to Steel City, Barber has had three starts, and he has won every single one of them. So he just keeps winning. No matter who he's up against, he's always first past the post. And he did that last start in the Blue Diamond Prelude for the Colts and Geldings. He sat on the speed there with Jamie Carr in the saddle and he won. There were a couple in behind that were probably a little bit unlucky, a couple in behind that were too far back, off a pretty slow tempo. Um, They sort of really rattled home, but they just couldn't catch Barber. He was too far ahead and, um, you know, the, the tempo that, they had been running early, didn't allow for them to be able to out sprint a horse that was already lengths ahead of them. So Barber won the Blue Diamond Prelude for the Colts and Geldings last start. And, 
you know, he was only first up there. So you can imagine that James Cummings, who is also an amazing two-year-old trainer, he's got a great record with two-year-olds. Um, you can imagine that he's tightened the screws for this race and that Barber will definitely be fit and ready to rock and roll. And he just keeps winning. So barrier nine for Barber, I think he goes forward and finds a spot somewhere near the speed. Barrier five for Steel City. She also likes to be near the speed. My concern is, Fee, that on this lakeside track, knowing that it's a tight turning track and knowing that it can be leader biased, there's going to be a real crush from those horses drawn wide. The jockeys are going to think, this is a big race, $2 million up for grabs. I'm not going back because if I go back, I've got no chance. I think that it means there's going to be extra pressure for horses to go forward. And when horses go forward, it means those horses drawn low often get shuffled back. So it'll be interesting to see if Steel City can hold a position near the speed or whether she sort of gets shuffled back to midfield somewhere in the ruck, buried, needing luck. So the map is a tricky one for this race, but... um, you know, I'd probably – it's so hard, the two-year-old racing, but I'd I'd be leaning to Barber of those two, A, because of exactly what you said. He was a last start winner and the stats say that that's key. He just keeps winning. Like you can't knock him. He's never, he's never been beaten. So what's to say that he's not going to go to the next level again? So of those two, I'd definitely say Barber is – the way that I'd be leaning um, and especially at the price, like you're getting $9 or something about Barber at the moment. So I'm, I definitely be, have Barber on side. He's definitely got a great winning chance. One that I um, thought watching, rewatching the race with Barber, the prelude, one that I thought sort of was hidden away was number five, Brave Halo. He was stuck on Barber's bump right at the end and I, I don't think his jockey, Damien Oliver, was really riding him out at that point. Like, he sort of just got stuck and stayed there. And I was like, I wonder what's going on here. Like, this horse, if it had gotten out into the open, could have closed that gap, but um, just had a bit of bad luck. So I don't mind Brave Halo. And that's the beauty of going back and watching the replays because, you know, you can see that Brave Halo finished fourth to Barber. But what it doesn't tell you in the form guide is that you're right. He had no luck. So when you actually go back and watch the replay and watch every horse in it, you see little things like that. Um, Brave Halo comes from Perth. So that's also really cool because it's rare to have a Perth two-year-old come over. Um, you know, they don't come every year. Only the very good ones do. And he's here and he's clearly good enough. Barrier 16 is a little bit tricky for him. Um, probably goes forward, but whether or not he gets an easy, soft run in transit is another thing. Yeah, barrier 16 is not ideal. And the other one um, I was quite excited to see, but I think they are an emergency is sensical. Uh, just the flashing run home, she didn't have a heap of luck in the straight. She had quite a bit of interference and then had to get out and absolutely flew home. But for now, an emergency, which must be very frustrating for connections. Yeah, she's so interesting, isn't she, sensical? She comes through the Blue Diamond Prelude for the Phillies. So Barber won the Colts and Geldings edition. The winner of the Phillies edition is a filly called Exploring. She was on speed exploring and Sensical was the flasher, eye catcher running home strongly. So definitely can understand what you're saying there and especially Sensical at $31. You know, she's a definite each way price and you don't can have just a really small bet if she was to get into the race and, you know, still have um, that value running for you. Exploring interests me a lot because I think there was plenty of merit to her win. She led, but they didn't go a slow tempo. She actually was entitled to 
probably get a bit tired at the end there and have something run over the top of her, but she just kept on going. The other thing about the Blue Diamond is that these two-year-olds, none of them have been to 1,200 metres yet, and it might seem silly, um, you know, the difference between 1,100 metres and 1,200 metres, but in a high-pressure contest, some of the two-year-olds um, won't necessarily be able to run out a strong 1,200 metres, so you're always trying to find those horses. The ones that can will often be right there in the finish, and there'll be some that just don't handle it as well, and they'll be getting a little bit tired late. Exploring, I think, is one that will see the 1,200 metres. So um, just looking at the early betting, she's already been backed $20 into $14. So she's one that interests me. But the other one that I'm going to make a case for, Fee, is a horse called Don Corleone. I already mentioned him. He's from the Snowden Stable up in Sydney. The reason that he's a $10 chance at the moment and the reason that I think that he's got a really good winning chance is because his debut win in Sydney over 1,000 metres, so this is two starts ago, was so, so good. Like after that win, everyone's thinking, well, there's the Golden Slipper winner. It's all over. Um, Visually to the eye, it was amazing. On the clock, it was outstanding in terms of like two-year-old ratings. It was so good. Very, very strong. He's a good horse. But then he came out as a very short price favorite last start and was definitely disappointing. But I'm putting that down to the fact that he probably just was a little bit flat. Often horses, when they put in a big booming run, can be just a little bit flat their next start, meaning that they don't come out and reproduce the same run twice. But what the Snowdens have done, which is typical of what they do because they're so smart and clever with how they train two-year-olds, is that they've switched up his environment. They've brought him down to Melbourne for the last two weeks, given him like a bit of a freshen up, a new surroundings and environment to just, you know, make him feel good again, make him, um, you know, really enthused in what he's doing. So I would not be surprised to see him bounce back in a big way. If he was to bring that debut win to this, he'll be right in the finish and he's $10. So I'm definitely going to have Don Corleone as one of my top winning chances for sure. Yeah, I think I am definitely keen on Barber exploring and sensical if she can get into the race there well and brave halo as well who i said earlier uh just just something about that run that has my interest um so they're the four that i'm looking at for now i think i'm just going to wait a little bit longer to see who i really want to back but they're the ones catching my eye at the moment well i'm just going to have three i'm going to have barber don corleone and i have to include number four little bros in there because he was the one that was breathing down Barber's neck last start and little bros was so far back in that race like he made up so much ground and he just got beaten and I think the key to his winning chances will be not getting that far back this Saturday and um, again, he's a $10 chance. So he's definitely one that I'll be including in my top three. He's one that when I watched the replay, I thought this horse definitely wants another hundred meters as well. Like he isn't a horse that can just quicken on a dime. Like he really builds into his run and he needs that clear space to really like get into his action. So I think, yeah, I can totally see why you're going for him. I'm just, yeah, worried about that gate speed and whether he's going to actually get a a competitive position on Saturday. Okay, well, let's move on to the second group one at Sandown on Saturday. It is the 1400 metre Futurity Stakes. If you can hear some gooing and garring, I have uh, Duncan in the studio with me right now. So 
just don't mind him. So the Futurity Stakes is a wait for age, 1,400 metres, as I've just said. It is the main lead-up race for the All-Star Mile and also a win and you're in race for the All-Star Mile. So a lot of horses will be uh, wanting to win this just so they don't have to rely on the voting to get them into the race. It's one of Australia's oldest races, with the first running being in 1898. An interesting fact to finish on is in the last 10 years, six Futurity winners have come out of the CF4 Stakes. So CF4 Stakes seems to be the main form race for the Futurity Stakes that we will be watching this weekend. And that does make a lot of sense, Fee, because if you look at the eight-horse field that we've got for the Futurity Stakes this Saturday, we've got four horses, so half the field, have come through the CF4 Stakes last start two weeks ago. So um, it definitely makes sense that we will probably see the winner coming through that form reference and especially when you take a look at three of the top four in the betting have come through the CF4 stakes and the reason for that is that they've had that one run under their belt so they're second up here they're fitter um, they are sort of able to generally get into a more positive position in the running because they've had that run they're a little bit fitter um, they can take up a more prominent position and therefore they're closer at the bend and they can be in a winning position. The horses that are, I'm talking about here are on Thunderstruck, Mr. Brightside, Aegon, and also Nugget. And to be honest, Fee, all of those horses were so good in the CF4 Stakes. So don't ask me to tell you who the winner of those four is. Like I'm confident the winner came from that race, but it's like an absolute lottery in terms of the weight for age ranks. You know, you've got Animo in Sydney. We'll get to him shortly, but I am so excited. You mentioned it, um, you know, seeing those, some of those head to head battles, this group of weight for age horses, milers, 2000 meter horses, these ones we're talking about in this race plus Animo, they are so good and they're very even, you know, there's not one, there's not one dominant uh, winks amongst it you know it's it's a real ding-dong battle every time they go around and what that means for is absolutely thrilling racing so again I find this race extremely hard to work out who the winner is it could be another complete blanket finish where there's like a length separating four of them that's just the way these horses run like there's just nothing between them what do you think well I think you're right like it's it's so close like getting I'm thunderstruck for three dollars twenty at the moment like just seems like such a good price but then like you said Aegon like I feel like he could definitely be a really good chance on Saturday from his CF4 run and he's $17 at the moment so he's you know like roughy money for a horse that in my opinion has quite a good shot and then Nugget was a, a very good run as well and Mr Brightside had absolutely blistering sectionals from the 600 meter mark and give him another 100 meters and he would have been he would have had his nose across the line first, no doubt. So, yeah, it's a very competitive race. And then we have Alligator Blood resuming too. And he's a horse that I really love to watch race. And I love how, you know, he sits at the front and sets the pace. And then the likes of I'm Thunderstruck and Mr. Brightside have to chase him down. But not sure about him first up. I think his second up record is better. And I'm also not like convinced about the 1400 for him either. I think he gets better as he gets out a little bit further. So I'm not that keen on Alligator Blood this race. I mean, 
probably he'll prove me wrong, but I'll save him for his next start, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I'm thinking the same sort of thing. We just want to see Alligator Blood come back and we want to see him run a big race. Like if he wins, then look out for the rest of the whole Autumn Carnival and the All-Star Mile in particular. But um, I think we just want to see him come back and run really well. And then for me, it's probably out of Mr. Brightside and I'm Thunderstruck, but I honestly, I honestly can't split them. They're so close. And yeah, it's just going to be a great race to watch. And if you pick the winner, well done, but it's just fun to watch it, isn't it? And I suppose because this is only a small field, like we've only got the eight runners, um, you know, it's not even like there's necessarily a bad barrier. When we get to the All-Star Mile in a couple of weeks' time with a big capacity field at Flemington, there will definitely be some horses that are disadvantaged at the barrier draw. But for this relatively small field, on Thunderstruck and Barrier 3, he'll probably settle somewhere midfield. Mr. Brightside, expect him to be a little bit more positive. Instead of going back, he'll probably be going forward here. Um, but, you know we're talking about the difference of a couple of lengths between them. It's not going to be a big field strung out. It's just only eight horses. It'll all race pretty tightly. So yeah, it's a, it's a real lottery race, but a great race. Like that's how you want wait for age racing to be. It's so exciting. Well, let's move on now to the last race on the card at Sandown. It is the group one Oakley plate. This is a handicap over 1100 meters so my fun facts for the Oakley Plate are that this is only one of three Group 1 sprinting handicaps on the racing calendar. The other two are the Newmarket at Flemington and the Galaxy in Sydney. And this is a really interesting point because only five horses carrying above 55 and a half kilos have won this race in the last 30 years. So the weights obviously play a huge role and when we're looking at our form I think we should be focusing on horses that uh, are carrying a bit of a lighter weight and also traditionally barriers don't play a massive role in the Oakley plate with seven of the last 13 winners jumping from a double digit barrier. What do you think of those facts Grace? Well I think the one about the barriers makes sense because at Caulfield um, when we normally race on the for the Oakley plate we're from the shoot start um, just like the Blue Diamond Stakes, you know, is only one bend. So to be drawn out wide is sometimes advantageous because it just means you get less traffic jams. There's only one bend, so you're not actually really covering any extra ground and you're not having a tough run. You can sort of sit deep, get clear galloping room and finish over the top of them from those wider draws. So that definitely makes sense. This year, the race, of course, is at Sandown. And while all the other races are on the lakeside track, the Oakley Plate just has to be different. It's on the hillside track. And the reason for that is that there is no 1,100 metre start anywhere at Sandown. They've had to make one. And the way that they've done that is they're starting the Oakley Plate from the 1,000 metre shoot start at the hillside track at Sandown. And they are extending the winning post 100 metres. So when you're watching this race and they go past the main winning post, Remind yourself, actually, they're still going for another 100 metres because you will see a makeshift winning post 100 metres past the real winning post, and that is where they're running to in the 1100 metre Oakley Plate. It's the only time they'll ever have this race run here. So it's just purely makeshift, but it actually does work. We saw, um, you know, the Rubiton Stakes, for example, the key lead up to the Oakley Plate run there and won by Lofty Strike two weeks ago at this track and trip. So we've seen it in action and it works quite well. 
Let's take a look at the market. We've got quite a big field for this race. The favourite is number nine, Asphora. And again, I was a bit surprised to see this horse as the favourite, Grace. Maybe that's just uh, my inexperience coming in. What did you think of seeing Asphora as the favourite? She's definitely among the winning chances, but she probably is a bit short at $4.80, considering how even this race is. She's really interesting because she's been rising through the grades. Like last campaign, she did exactly that. She won three races on the way through to be a group two winner. So she's definitely earned her shot, no doubt, in a race like this. They've done it the right way by keeping her fresh, ready to go first up into this to keep her weight down. But, you know, this is a very, very good field fee. Unlike the previous race that we looked at, the Futurity Stakes, which of course is at weight for age level, so totally different conditions in terms of the weight scale. That is a very even contest where um, it's really hard to split them and it's a small field. This Oakley Plate is a huge field and there's a definite gap between those horses that are very, very good and those ones that might not be up to it. So in true handicap conditions we've got a really big weight scale from the top weight being rockin horse who's a dual group one winner she's carrying 58 kilos to write down at the bottom the last horse that's currently in the field is zapateo on 52 kilos so um very very open race there are quite a few horses though that i think aren't good enough to win and there's a handful that i think are very much capable of winning So Asfura definitely goes in the mix, but the ones that I'm most definitely keen on is Lofty Strike, Uncommon James, and Star Patrol. They are the three that I am definitely most focused on in this race. Yeah, I definitely had Lofty Strike and Star Patrol. I also had Chain of Lightning and Marine One written down as the ones that caught my attention. Lofty Strike, I can't believe the price we're getting, $10, um, after his last win. I just... I thought he was going to be the favourite and um, thought I was not going to get a good price for him. So I'm definitely having uh, a couple of dollars on him to win. Chain of Lightning was just held up so badly in the Rubicon, And the last 50 metres were unreal. So I thought she was definitely an eye-catching run. Although I'm going with Lofty Strike, she's one that I also um, am going to be keeping my eye on. And then... Marine One, I thought, had a very good return considering he has had a year off racing. We, like, really haven't seen him since this time last year. So he's one I'll also be keeping an eye on, maybe not for this race, but uh, maybe the new new market in a few weeks' time. And Star Patrol, yeah, just seems like a very classy horse. So also unlike the last race when I said that barriers don't really mean much, barriers mean a lot here because of the fact that it's a big field, high pressure, Um, you know, there are going to be some that don't have much luck. And the one that I'm really worried about in terms of the barrier is Chain of Lightning. Totally agree that last start she was great, but you're right. She was held up and she didn't get all the luck. And I'm scared that's going to happen again. She drew barrier two last time. She's drawn barrier two here again. Her natural pattern is to sort of just get midfield-ish. Um, I can see her being back and buried and not being able to flow at the right time and get into the race. So she's definitely got a chance, but I'd probably just be against her from that barrier as opposed to lofty strike. And the other one that I like coming through that race as well, uncommon James, they're both from barrier 11 and 14. Um, uncommon James will go forward again. 
He was all but home except Lofty Strike bloused him, came over the top of him late in the piece last start. So barrier 14, Uncommon James goes forward, probably settles on speed or behind the speed, even three deep from the shoot start, as we discussed um, earlier in your stats, doesn't really make a difference. You know, if you're deep from only one bend, it's not the worst at all. So I think he can run really well second up. Um, the way the weights work out, because he got beaten last start, actually he gets a two kilo weight swing in his favor against Lofty Strike. So that's in his favor. He's got a two kilo weight swing, which means that last time, um, you know, Uncommon James was two kilos worse off at the weights. Now he's better off. Um, and then, of course, Lofty Strike was huge last start. Like, he should not have won from where he was given the way the race unfolded. So he's back in a big way. And you're so right, Fee. That price for Lofty Strike, I can't believe it either. I think he should be favourite, and I think he'll be absolutely crunched in betting. Well, I better put my bet on quick then, I think. So next we head up to Sydney for the Chipping Norton Stakes, a Group 1 weight for age over 1,600 metres at Randwick. So this is the classic read-up late to the Doncaster, also the Sydney Cup and Queen Elizabeth Stakes. And in the last few years, it has been dominated by mares. So Winks won it four years in a row, 2016 to 2019, and then Very Elegant won it twice, 2021 and 2022. So it's been dominated by these two girls and Chris Waller for the last few years. Now, the key form race for the Chipping Norton seems to be the Apollo Stakes, out of the last 12 winners, 10 have come through that race. And barrier four is the most successful barrier with nine wins since 2000. Grace, obviously Animo is the boom horse at the moment. He really cemented his status during the spring. And he's the horse to beat in this race. But if something were to go a little bit wrong and he had a bit of bad luck, who do you think are the horses that could make the most of that opportunity? Well, I mean, it is a big if because Animo is a seven-time Group 1 winner and he's placed another five times in Group 1s from 14 attempts. He is an absolute champion. He is the big dog when it comes to the weight for age racing at the moment. Um, once he meets them all in Sydney uh, for the Queen Elizabeth, then he's probably going to be awfully hard to beat as he will the whole way through to that feature race in the championships week. But, you know, if... We were trying to find something to beat Animo. The one that I'd probably say, in fact, there's two. They're right down the bottom, number 11 and number 12. They are both mares who we know have dominated the race. They are both trained by Chris Waller, who, again, has been dominating this race. And one of them, Fee, has drawn barrier four, which you said is the most winning barrier. And the other thing about this horse, I'm specifically talking about number 12, Hinged is that she loves wet tracks. So we know that Sydney's had plenty of rain. You know, they, we have to expect this though. Every year they've got a very wet autumn carnival. So wet trackers to the fore. Um, but she loves wet tracks. They've had plenty of rain this week. So I don't know what track we're going to be on on Saturday, but if there's some juice in it, it plays into her favor. Hinged was the leader in the last start, the Polo Stakes, which Animo won. She always goes forward. She's drawn barrier four here again. Expect her to be right on speed. And she stuck on really well. Although Animo did get past her late and he and also Fangirl were sensational from, you know, the rear of the field. 
Hinge will definitely benefit with the run under her belt. Her second up record reads four second up runs for three wins. So she always goes very well second up. And it's just the fact that she gets onto, you know, a soft track maybe on Saturday um, that, and she's definitely one at $12 that you could have an each way bet on because she's got a great chance of finishing in the top three, no doubt about it. And, you know, if there was to be some bad luck for Animo from barrier three, or, you know, something happened and he just didn't show up for whatever reason, Hinged would be a great chance, I think, especially getting onto the conditions that she loves. Well, I think this has been a great first episode for 2023 to set us up for the year. And next week we have lots to cover, so it's been nice having a warm-up episode just focusing on form. But next week we move our attention to the yearling sales, Grace. That's exactly right, Fee. So we're sort of just taking a moment stepping away from the form analysis next week, and we're going to start decoding some of the topics that live within the bloodstock and the breeding world. And it's a great time to do it because next week's episode leads into the Inglis Melbourne Premier Yearling Sale. So it's a great time for us to start to understand what on earth all that business is about before we start hearing a lot about it over next weekend. That's right, Grace. So uh, bidding starts on Sunday the 5th at Oaklands in Melbourne and you and I will both be there on the day so if you have never been to a yearling sales and you are around the Melbourne area feel free to come out for the day and meet us there we will both be wandering around looking at the horses and spending a bit of time in the auction ring so that will be a really great day out it's such an interesting part of the industry that I don't think enough people get out and experience but that is it for this week so thank you so much for tuning in and if you want to show your support for the show there are three things that you can do for us number one make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review that helps other people find the show number two is recommend us to a friend word of mouth is the best way to share a podcast and of course you can find us on social media we are mostly on instagram and facebook and good luck everyone for the races this weekend make sure you tag us wherever you are enjoying the races and we will catch you next week Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.